Well, good morning, and we're so glad that you're here today to worship here at Lake Point Church, and, um, and uh, you pick a great day to be here. Some of you, this is your first time here. Thank you for coming in and worshiping with us and uh, being our friend for today. You could have chose a lot of different churches today, and we're honored that you came. And so if you uh, receive a program, inside that program is a connection card, and just take, them, take a minute, fill that connection card out, and uh, just let us know about your visit with us today. We'll put you on a mailing list, let you know what's coming up, send you something in the mail. We won't show up at your house in the middle of the night. I promise that won't happen, but I would love to get to know you and connect with you. Now, today we're starting a brand new series on the book of Jonah. On the book of Jonah, it's one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. And uh, a lot of times we read a story like this, and it, oftentimes we can miss valuable truth of God's Word just because we're too familiar with it. And I pray in this series, in the next four weeks, we're going to take each week a chapter, and I, and I pray that you will uh, learn some things. I pray that you'll be challenged. Um, I pray that God will speak to you in, in a way that you've never been spoken to reading through the book of Jonah. And it's a beautiful picture framed in four chapters. And what is it a picture of? What is Jonah a picture of? If you're taking note, uh, some people say it's a picture of a whale or a large fish. But the fact is, the fish is only mentioned four times in the book of Jonah. Others would say it's a picture of the great city of Nineveh. We're going to talk about what Nineveh is, but it was the largest city of that day, the most influential city. But really, that city is only mentioned nine times in the book of Jonah. Others would say, well, the book of Jonah is really a picture of the disobedient prophet Jonah himself. And that would be, you would make a good argument, a good, uh, make a good case to say that Jonah is about Jonah, but Jonah is only mentioned 19 times in the book. The book of Jonah is a beautiful picture of a loving God who is mentioned 38 times in the book. The God of the second chance, third chance, fourth chance, of unlimited grace, the God who commands us to obey him, not to make our lives miserable, but because he loves us. And he wants us to learn to follow him because he knows what's best for you and for me. He wants your best more than you even want your own best. And so it's my prayer that during this series, in the next four weeks, we'll get a very clear picture of God, of who God is, and how much he loves, and what he wants to do in our lives. He's the God of the second chance. And that's the picture that the book of Jonah gives us so clearly. And so what we want to do is we want to, uh, get into the book of Jonah. We want to um, open our Bibles. If you got one, we want to dive in. No pun intended, but we want to dive in into the book of Jonah. And if you're trying to find it in your Bible, uh, Jonah is, is, is tucking there with a bunch of little books that sounds like Star Wars characters. All right? You got Obadiah, you got Jonah, you got Obi-Wan, you got Micah, Nahum. And Chewbacca, all right? You got those books right in there. 
<laughs> so if you have to look in the table of content, there's no shame, okay? It's in there. And so I want to look in here. I want to go verse by verse, and then we'll kind of summarize, summarize chapter 1. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 1, verse number 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now let's pause here for just a minute. If people know anything about Jonah, they know it got to do something with, they know it had something to do with Jonah telling God no. And running away from God, being swallowed up by a big fish, and a lot of people, they get hung up right here, and they say, this can't be true. It can't be possible. No man can survive the belly of a fish for three days. They can't survive it. You know, it reminds me of a story of a woman she was on an airplane, and it was a, a full airplane, and she sitting next to, you know, on this, uh, in a chair, and she pulled up a Bible. And she's reading the Bible, and the guy next to her, you know, he kind of scoffed at her and said, you know, and finally he said, you know, do you really believe the Bible? And the woman said, oh, yes, sir. I believe this is God's word. I believe that this uh, word of God divinely direct my life and guides me. And, and the man said, well, what about that guy who got swallowed by the whale? And she said, oh, yeah, I know that story. That's the story of Jonah. And uh, it's the story of, of him and a big fish. And yeah, it's true because all of God's word is true. And the guy said, well, how in the world did he stay alive in the fish for so long? And the woman said, uh, sir, I am I don't really have an idea. I don't have no idea. But one day when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. The guy said, well, what if he's not in heaven? Well, then I guess you asked him. (laughs) Amen. All right. I believe the story. I believe that the story of Jonah and the whale is true. It's real. People say, well, maybe it's supposed to be read as a parable. And the problem with that, it's not written that way. We've got details. We've got names. We've got dates. It's written in the genre of history. It says, Jonah, the son of Amittai. It doesn't say, once upon a time, there was a guy named Jonah. Plus, Second King referenced Jonah. and talk about other stuff that Jonah did. The other thing about this is that Jesus talk about the story of Jonah, and reference it as a story of history. He referred to the historical event as a very important prophetic sign for his own ministry. And you can look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. You can look at Luke chapter 11, verse 30. And I feel like if Jesus knew, he would have known. And he talked about the fact of Jonah. And so go to the great city, verse number 2. God said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, there's two things you need to know about Nineveh. It was a great, huge city. Huge city. In fact, it was one of the largest cities of the time. Where where is that today? It's outside the city of Mosul, Iraq. It's a ruin outside the city limit of Mosul. And um, in fact, I want to say this. We have our missionary member here. 
and uh, he ministered to uh, uh, people in northern Iraq and, and a dumb missionary. He's going to be in Iraq in three weeks. And Irfan, stand up, buddy. Stand up. Make him stand. There you go. Irfan, have you ever been to Nineveh? Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. It's not much there no more. But man, at the time, this was an incredible city. In fact, Jonah talked about it takes three days to walk across the city of Nineveh. The, walls around, the, the, the wall around Nineveh was three chariots wide. This was a powerful city. It had big architectures, best singers, culture, the library, top of the world at that time. It was a huge city. But it was also very, very wicked. Extremely wicked. The Ninevites were known as some of the cruelest people in the ancient world. In fact, Nineveh boasted about their own cruelty. They loved that they were the bullies of the Middle East. They brag about that. And you might wonder, well, you know, John is the prophet, and that's what he's supposed to do. He preaches God's word. So why didn't he go? Why didn't he obey the very simple command of God where God should go to Nineveh? And you have to understand, and maybe once you understand the history of the Ninevites or the Assyrian Empire, maybe you have a little understanding of why Jonah hated these people so much. Maybe you understand why he didn't want to go. The Assyrians were so brutal. They were so brutal that it was rumored that if the Assyrians, if, if, if it was a rumor that the Assyrians were going to invade your town, invade your city, some of the towns would actually commit suicide because there was a better way to die than to be in the hands of the Assyrians. They were brutal. Everyone, they were hated. Everyone feared the empire of the Assyrians. You can read about this in the history book. They would go in. They would take over a city. They would kill all sorts of people. And, and then they would take the surviving woman. And before they killed them, they would rape them, even children. They would take the prisoners of war, the men. They would take them outside the city. They would skin them alive. And then they would bury them up to their neck, still alive. Still alive. And you can imagine the pain that that would just bring. They would take their skin. They would drape the city walls outside. And they have all these prisoner wars buried to their neck. And if you think that was bad enough, they would take the tongues. And they would pull their tongues out and drive a stake in the ground. And it would just drive them crazy. They can't, they're thirsty. And it would go all through the process of torture before they die. And, and to make it even worse, throughout the night, they'll play Britney Spears music. And they were stuck listening to it. Uh, whatever. Okay, I, I'm kidding about that. But the rest of it, true. All right? I mean, this was torture. It was torture. I mean, the Assyrians were public enemies number one to the Israelites, and they hated them. 
And after those guys would die in the hole, they would behead all the men's head. They would take their heads off, and they would stack a human pyramid head. And it basically says to everybody else that would see those pyramids, we conquered this city. Don't mess with us. They were feared. They were feared. And maybe, now knowing that, maybe you have a little bit more compassion, maybe a little bit more mercy for Jonah when he said, I don't want to go there. I hate these people. It could be that Jonah had a friend or a family member whose head is in a pyramid, who's been slaughtered by the Assyrians. There was absolute hatred. He despised them. But God said, I want you to do something. And in Jonah's mind, he had a legitimate reason why he didn't want to obey God. And perhaps you can relate. Perhaps you can. In your mind, you might think, you know, maybe God said, hey, I want you to do something, and the word of God comes to you, and you hear specifically from God, this is what you should do. And in your mind, you say, okay, I understand what you want me to do, but God, I don't want to do it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Maybe someone has wronged you. Maybe someone hurt you or hurt someone you love. And the Word of God teaches us to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And, and you look and say, man, I don't want to forgive. They don't deserve it. I don't feel like forgiving them. I know that's what God wants me to do, but I don't want to do it. You know, maybe you know the principles and what the Bible teaches about giving. The giving of the tithes, the biblical tithes where we give 10% to the Lord as an act of worship. And a lot of you have heard that. You say, you know, I, I don't want to do that. I know that's what God said, but I don't want to do it. Does it make sense in my mind? I like my things more than I want to obey God. I simply don't want to do it. Perhaps maybe you're single. You're dating somebody. You know, you get real close to that person, and before you know it, you start doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing. You've been messing around, and the word of the Lord will come to you and say, hey, save your body for marriage. That's not for dating. And you've got a choice. A lot of people will say, well, I know that's what God says, but I kind of like it. It feels good. I feel love. I don't care what God says. You see, there's a Jonah in all of us. Well, I mean, we can look at Jonah and say, oh, man, what a disobedient prophet. But I am Jonah. And so are you. So are you. There is a Jonah in all of us. Maybe the word of the Lord has come to you and you thought, you know, I know I'm supposed to do it, but I'll do it later. You know, I know God is calling me to serve him, but I'll do it later. I'll put it off. I'm too busy at the moment. I'll put it off and I'll do it later. I'll get to it, but I'll do it later. Remember this. This should be on your handout notes, but it's not. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You know, kind of like 
the parenting technique. We've all, if you've got kids, we've all done this. We're all guilty. You know, you tell little Johnny, you say, Johnny, we need to do this. But Johnny doesn't do it. He said, Johnny, don't make, don't make me come over there. You know, and Johnny still, don't, Johnny still doesn't do it. He said, Johnny, I'm going to count to three. One, two, two and a half. Y'all know the game. You know what we're teaching? We're teaching delayed obedience. Delayed obedience is really disobedience. And the word of the Lord is going to come to you and I often tell you to do some things that you don't want to do. And Jonah said, I don't want to go there. I don't want to have to, I don't want to, have to do anything with these people. They make me angry. I'm bitter. Look at verse number three. So what did Jonah do? Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So here begins Jonah's rebellion against God. God clearly told him to go, and he ran the other way. In fact, this is how far he ran away from him. Nineveh and Tarshish it's 2,500 miles away. That's the distance, almost the distance from here to Seattle. Almost the distance. Now, today time, you know, we can get to Seattle in about five hours by, by airplane. But 2,500 miles without airplanes, without cars or train, you have a donkey. Maybe a camel. I don't know. I don't know what you have, but you have something. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're too poor not to afford any of those. You walk. That's a year walking 2,500 miles away. So Jonah planned to go very, very far away. Total opposite of where God wants him to go. A couple of things I want you to notice. Rebellion is simply saying no to God. Rebellion is simply saying no to God. You see, Jonah, a lot of people don't think about this, but Jonah is a very upstanding guy. In fact, when you look at 2 Kings chapter 14, you see Jonah being referenced there. He's considered one of the premier prophets of that time period. He had a very good, great ministry going on. Things are happening. People, people are getting saved. He considered the Billy Graham of the day. He considered the Billy Graham of the day. And you see, sometimes we tend to evaluate our walk with God by comparing how godly we are to others. You know, I go to church more, or I give more, or I'm, I'm, I serve more. I'm more moral. But you're never farther from God than when you're close to him and you say no. You can be close and tight with God and yet be so far from him by simply saying no. Jonah, the prophet, the man of God, the man who walked with God, is rebelling from him. And it's easy for any of us 
any of us. You can be walking with God, and you might be saying no to an area of your life. God is calling you to something, and you say, God, I'm doing everything else. I've got 99% happening in a good way, but that 1%, no, I'm not willing to give. You're never farther from God than when you're close to him and you say no. But here's the second thing I noticed in the first. It's so important. Jonah found a ship ready. He found a ship ready. You ever notice that people assume the readiness of the trip is like God's okay on a plan of action? Have you ever noticed that? I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where people are doing something clearly against the will of God, and they're like, but no, God, it all worked out. It all played out well at the end. Talk to people in the middle of adultery. And they say, man, I was miserable in the marriage. But then I met this person, and I felt like God wanted me to be happy. It was like he planned this. I know what God's word says, but it sounded like he made a ship ready for me. He had a ship ready for me. If you want to run from God, there will always be a ready, a ship to Tarsus. There will always be a ship ready to go to Tarsus. Whenever God speaks to you, you can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. And you have an enemy whose role is to ready the trip for your disobedience. He's preparing a plan. He's preparing a way. If you want to have your marriage, there will always be a too-good-to-be-true relationship that presents itself. Now, if you tolerate greed in your life, there will always be a great deal on something to buy, on something to cheat, or on something to steal. I've heard people say, well, no, I've had peace in my heart about it. And by the way, I'm all for the peace of God. And and God's peace does come. But sometimes we use that as a cop-out to do what we want to do. Oh, I've got the peace of God. One of Satan's primary roles is to give you peace about doing the wrong thing. You see this in Genesis chapter 3, the very first temptation against Eve and Adam and Eve. He said, hey, it's okay. The forbidden fruit is good. It'll make you wise. You won't die. Satan gave her peace, gave Adam peace about disobeying God. You see, peace in your heart may not always be God's affirmation of what you're doing. It could be Satan numbing your conscience as you justify doing rebellion and saying no to God, and it will always lead you down to the wrong path. So don't look to peace in your heart as a guide for your life. Look to God's word. What does God say? Peace in your heart can change based on what you eat or what kind of mood you're in. God's word never changes. Look at verse number four. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. By the way, the problem from running from God is that God is already where you're going. He's trying to run from God. God's right there in the middle of the lake. 
middle of the uh, middle of the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. He said, "The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, and all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God." So here's the situation: you have all these pagan, pagan sailors. I mean, they're scared out of their mind. You know, they're, they're like, hey, everybody pray to your gods. You know, pray for your gods. And hopefully, one of them is awake. One of them is around. And maybe he'll be in a good mood and, and, and rescue us from this disaster that's about to happen. And so they pull out the crystals. They pull out the amulets. They pull out the hankies that had been, that had been blessed by television evangelists. I mean, they pull them all out, Okay. I mean, they're just praying. But look at verse number five. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, what is he doing? He's gone below deck. He's laid down. He's fallen to a deep sleep. Jonah's having a nap. How, is it, how, how in the world is Jonah sleeping? And how ironic is this? I mean, the pagans, they're up there having a theological discussion about who God is. And they're all praying, and they have the prophet of God, they have the man of God with the message of God down in the basement of the ship taking a nap. Verse number six, the captain went to him. (coughs) He said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on, surprise, Jonah. (laughs) They spin the roulette wheel, and every time God stopped the ball on Jonah. Again and again and again. And so they asked him, It's okay. Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Look at verse number nine. He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. Really, Jonah? Really? You worshiping? You know, we can say we worship and not worship. We can say, well, I worship on Sunday." But do you worship on Monday? Do you worship on Tuesday? And so he said, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Write this down if, you have, if you're taking note. Our disobedience always affects others. We never sin in private. For some of you, your family and friends are suffering because of your disobedience. Uh, hear me there. I want, I want you to understand. The greatest gift that I can give to everyone who knows me, my wife, my kids, the people I work with, my neighbors, you, my church, the greatest gift that I can give is to be close to God. Yes, I do it for God's sake, and I do it for my own but also do it for everyone else. The greatest gift that you can give to anybody 
is your own holiness. Well, you're actually worshiping God with your life. Not with, this, not with your mouth, but with your life. Look at verse number 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea, to make the sea calm down for us? And here's what Jonah said. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that the great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. I give kudos to the pagan sailors. They at least don't want Jonah to die. But they're now in a rowing contest with God. God got his hand on the stone. He got his finger on the stone. He's in control of this. Look at verse 14. So they cry out to the Lord. All right, so now they know what they've got to do. They cry out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. So they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. So Jonah hit the water, and the water turns into a stagnant pond, just like that. And Jonah's like, well, I guess that works. Hey, guys, let me back in now. See, Jonah thought that his worst nightmare was over, but it's not. Look at verse number 17. The Lord provided a huge fish. I, I, we got to read that, because sometimes we miss this, so it's so easy to miss. What did the Lord do? The Lord provided. He provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. When Jonah would see it, the worst possible scenario, God provided it. God provided the worst possible scenario. And here's what I want to say if you're taking notes. Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. Some of you right now might be facing what you would consider your nightmare. I mean, financially. You might be like, I'm done. I'm over it. And God might be saying, do I have your attention? Some of you might be facing a relationship that you think is just going to get any worse. It's your worst nightmare at, at this moment. And God might be saying, do I have your attention? Now, I'm not going to tell you that everything that's bad is that God causing it. We don't know that. We don't know. But I do believe that there are times when God may cause or when God may allow what we would consider our worst nightmare so that he can get your attention. You see, God is in an all-out pursuit to get you to come back to him. 
and he'll do whatever it takes. And by the way, Jonah went down a, a spiral path. Jonah worked nightmare didn't come at the beginning of a spiral. See, God, over time, every time, tried to get Jonah to get back. And Jonah kept saying no and no. And, and down, down, down he went to a place where God said, okay, I'm doing it not to punish you. I'm doing it because I love you. I'm trying to get your attention. So this is chapter one. We're going to look at chapter two in a minute, but I want to, chapter two next Sunday. I want to close really quick with the, as we summarize this chapter for you. You know, one of my favorite movies is the Harrison Ford movie, The Fugitives. All right, The Fugitive. It's one of those movies that I could just see two or three times. If it's on TV, and oh, it's The Fugitive. I, I just watch it. I know how it's going to go, but I watched the movie because it's a good movie. Harrison Ford was on the run for something he didn't do. Jonah was on the run for something he wouldn't do. There's a big difference. Jonah was a fugitive. So how do we become a fugitive like Jonah? And some of you, this is what you need to see, the progress. Notice the progression of how God works in us. First, number one, God demands. God will come to you. He comes to you. He demands it. Number two, we decide. God demands it, but God does not force us to obey his demands. We have a free will. And so we have a choice. We decide. By the way, I've said it before that every person, every person, including myself, is two, it's always two decisions away from ruling in your life. You're always two bad decisions away from ruining your life. I also say this, you're always one decision away from living a life that God wants you to live. But two, deci two decisions, maybe even one decision away, bad decision away. And so we have choices. We have the free will. We decide. Number three, to be a, to be a fugitive like Jonah, you disobey. After the choices, you run. You disobey. <coughs> Whenever you decide in any area of your life, big or small, to run from God, you're about to take a trip that's always longer, that's always costlier, and harder. You see, disobedience will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. I'm going to look at Jonah. We're going to see this. We're going to see this in the story. Disobedient, it, it, would have been, it would have been a whole lot easier. It would have taken less time. It would have cost him less money. He wouldn't have to go through the, his worst nightmare in the belly of a fish if he had obeyed God. But he disobeyed. And this is the progress of the fugitive. Number four, God disciplines. Again, God is not being mean. This is God showing his mercy. Every time. Jonah's worst nightmare is not God paying Jonah back for his sin. Rather, this is God bringing Jonah back from his sin. 
And the same thing is happening to some of you. God is trying to get your attention. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 10. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Not always fun to go through it. Later on, though, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So I have a few questions to ask you as we close. Question number one. Are you headed in the wrong direction? Question number two. Have you gotten, have you gotten on the wrong trip? Question number three. Is there any area in your life where you are saying no to God when you ought to be saying yes? And if you are, there is a loving God. There is an absolute loving God waiting on you. He wants to bring you full circle back to himself. That's why God sent his son Jesus 2,000 years ago to let every fugitive know that there is a way home. And here's the way to get there. You've got the choice. You can keep running, or you can come back to him. We have a God who is chasing you down, who will knock down walls to get you, because his love is reckless for you, because he's desperate to have a relationship with you. And that closes out chapter 1. As we begin to see God in his mercy. It may not look very merciful right now, but God in his mercy and in his great love is chasing down Jonah because he knows what's best for him. And he knows what's best for you too. Our Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jonah chapter 1. And God, as we unfold this amazing little book, I pray that we will see a beautiful picture of who you are, that you are a God that loves us, who chases us down, an amazing, powerful God. And so, God, there may be some of us here, we're just saying no to where we should be saying yes. We're running, we're on the wrong ship. We're on a ship called USS Rebellion. God, I pray that we would get off that ship, turn around, and head toward the path you want us to walk in. You know what's best for each and every one of us. Perhaps, God, there's someone here today. They don't have a relationship with you. And you've been trying to get their attention. You've been trying to wake them up. And they're here, and they're trying to figure out what Christianity and what a relationship with you really means. But, God, I pray that today they will look up and stop saying no, but start saying yes to you. But head bow and eye close and says, God, you're talking to me. I'm here today. I've been here before. Maybe this is your first time with us. And you've been running from God. Or maybe you're just trying to figure it out. You know you need to say yes, but you keep saying no. And today you say, you know what? I want God who loves me. I want his grace and his mercy. I want to come to him.
The Bible says that we can do this today. Today, you can ask Christ into a relationship that lasts for eternity. You can ask him to come in your life today. You can do it right where you're at in the chair that you're sitting in. And you can pray this prayer. The Bible says that we cry out to the name of Jesus and ask him to come into your life to forgive you of your sins and make you a new person in Christ. It's that simple. You say, well, that sounds too easy. Yes, but it wasn't easy for the Savior because he died a brutal death on the cross. And he did it for you. He did all that. He went through his worst nightmare so that you don't have to. And he did it so that you can have eternal life and a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And here's the prayer. You can pray this in the quietness of your heart. You say, dear God, I'm a sinner. And today, I'm asking for your forgiveness of my past sins, my present sins, my future sins. I'm asking to forgive all of it. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your salvation. But today, I'm going to quit saying no. And I'm going to say yes. I'm going to give my life to you. Come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. With head bowed and eyes closed, maybe there's someone here. I want to know who you are so I can pray with you, pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to call you out. I just simply want to recognize. But if you say, Scott, I asked Jesus today. I said, I, said, I said yes. I've been saying no to God. But today, for the first time, I said yes to him, and I gave my life to Jesus. I prayed that prayer, and I asked him to come in my life. If that's you this morning, will you simply raise your hand? I just simply want to see who you are in this room. You say, God, today, I ask Jesus to come into my life. Is there anybody here like that today? Our Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have a loving Father who chases us down. And you and I pray. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's worship.